welcome to the latest Canatus News podcast. Uh, today we'll be doing another roundtable and I'm fortunate to have three wonderful guests with me again. Uh, first of all, I've got Dale Claridge, who is a student at Nottingham University and uh, president of the Atheist Society there. Uh, I've also got Leo Gibbons-Plowright, who's a blogger and Labour Party activist. And I've got Paige Tracy, who's a student at Birmingham University, who's currently studying uh, on a year abroad at University College Dublin. And she's written for Canatus News, as well as various other publications. Welcome, guys. Hi there. Hi. Okay, so I think I've got an appropriate crowd with me today. We're going to kind of discuss where Labour go... This is UK Labour, obviously, of course, for any Australian listeners that might be out there. Um, where the UK Labour Party go from the results of the Copeland and Stoke-on-Trent by-elections, which happened last week. So if you didn't see, uh, Labour lost Copeland, which is the first time uh, an opposition party has lost a by-election to the government for 35 years, I believe. Um, and... They lost some of their majority in Stoke-on-Trent, although they held off the challenge of Paul Nuttall, who's the leader of UKIP, for those of you who aren't aware of that. Um, Leo, can I come to you first and ask yep. you whether you think that is part of a larger trend or whether you think it's a one-off and, and what reason you'd give for both of those things, if so? Um, I kind of think it does point to a larger trend. Um, actually, it shows a lot of how um, kind of conservatives have taken UKIP's turf almost. Um, if UKIP can't win in Stoke on Trent in the current climate with the Labour Party where it is, um, with Brexit, fighting for a hard Brexit, um, I can't see UKIP really being that sort of existential threat that many in the Labour Party fear. But it does show actually how. The Conservatives, by kind of moving to the right, uh, embracing hard Brexit, kind of being a little bit more socially conservative, they've, they've almost kind of taken UKIP's ground. And actually, they are, they have always been the bigger threat to Labour. Mm-hmm. And we've seen in Copeland that if they can take Copeland midterm against an opposition, I'm very, very fearful for the Labour Party at the next general election. Mm-hmm. How much, and anyone can jump in on this, how much do you think the Copeland result was down to uh, some of the nuclear stuff that was being discussed and Labour's position on nuclear weapons and therefore nuclear jobs? I think that was probably a very big part um, mm-hmm. within the context of Copeland um, specifically because the Tories were able to jump on Jeremy Corbyn being um, a, a member of the CND and formerly like a, uh, a leader of an anti-nuclear um, organization. I can't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, forgive me, but yeah, it's just it's an easy tagline for them to include in all of their campaign leaflets. Um, and obviously, voters got worried for oh no, nuclear power is a big employer around here labor or a threat to our jobs um but saying that that was for that seat in particular Mm -hmm. uh the question is whether they can exploit those kind of concerns nationwide in other areas whether Mm -hmm. there is you know it the same thing about labor threatening local jobs will hold up in other areas or whether it really was just because um 
Copeland relies so much on nuclear, uh, the nuclear industry as an employer, and also obviously with um, Clive Lewis resigning, kind of feeding into those concerns. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think maybe uh, I do think that the Tories are going to be the biggest threat to Labour at the next general election. I think mm-hmm. specifically now that we've seen that they can take a seat that has been Labour for so many years, mm-hmm. that was thought to be a Labour safe seat um, and have now got a dot of blue in a sea of red. I think that it's shown that they are going to be the main contender to Labour, not UKIP. However, I don't know. We, it's just going to be a question of whether... Um, whatever worked in Copeland can hold up across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. The interesting thing about Copeland is it's, it's kind of portrayed as a, you know, this is a seat that is of, of the left behind working classes. Mm-hmm. But actually it has it, the highest wages on average out of any seat outside of London and the southeast. And when Shami Chakrabarti... Sorry, can I just interrupt and ask, is that highest relative wages in terms of living costs or or actual overall wages, do you know? I believe that's actual overall wages, partly from from the kind of energy belt Mm -hmm. that they have with the decommissioning of Sellafield. Um, And when Shami Chakrabarti comes on to pretty much slag off the legacy of the Labour Party... Mm -hmm. Um, and say these are people that have been left behind by the Labour Party. I can imagine Jamie Reid being absolutely furious mm. at that, as the Labour Party have helped turn that corner of West Cumbria into kind of a beacon of actually how we can change communities that are mm. facing issues with globalisation, with wealth being drained out of the area, rebuild mm. those by focusing on um, jobs in, for example, in Copeland, it's the energy sector. Mm-hmm. And then to know that we're going up to a campaign and Jeremy Corbyn won't say on the record that he supports building a new nuclear power site, mm-hmm. site in Copeland, which will bring not only 20,000 jobs to the area, but will kind of give that left behind, as he says, area kind of a sense of purpose, a sense of place. Um, it was shocking. And and no wonder we lost that seat when the Workers' Party can't even guarantee jobs for workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to bring Dale in because he's been sitting there very patiently. Um, so do you think, Dale, that, I mean, same question, really, do you think it's indicative of, of a larger problem for the Labour Party or do you think it's quite a geographically specific uh, phenomenon, this, this Copeland loss? Well, uh, I'd probably be quite informed by Leo. Uh, when talking about the geographic factors there. I mean, if I, I, I trust that if he says it is, it probably is. I mean, obviously, Labour does seem to be in a crisis at the moment, uh, particularly with, you know, the complete, well, a, a very large lack of confidence amongst, you know, the MPs and such who don't seem to, who, who haven't seemed to want Jeremy Corbyn as leader since uh, there was any sort of fear of him being elected. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess the question I would put to, I mean, Leo and Paige on this is, I mean, obviously the most recent general election was very punishing for Labour. Um, I mean, you guys lost a lot of seats to the SNP. 
um, you know, there was a, it was asserted that there was a lot of tactical voting conservative to keep UKIP out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do you think that this, I mean, particularly poor general election, uh, it sort of has the systemic link with perhaps Corbyn being one of the only sort of, well, with the poor performance that Corbyn is continuing or is it just coincidental that these two things have happened so close to each other? So, so to, to sum up your question, were Labour on a downward slope anyway? And it's it's just happens to have got worse yeah. because they haven't had a brilliant leader to, to, to stop that downward spiral. Leo Page, do you want to jump in on that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I agree with Dale's point. I think that... Um... I think the Blairite uh, brand was very tainted. Um, I think a lot of that, uh, it's not the only reason, but I think that was a main reason as to why Labour did so badly in the last general election. Uh, Blair, I mean, was, was Ed Miliband a Blairite? I mean, I, I guess I'm not he sure came, that's... He came, I think that from talking to people, people saw him as coming from um, that class of uh, kind of career... Uh, not so much maybe Blairite or, or Brownite politicians, but kind of career politicians. Um, they felt he was inauthentic. Um, they they felt like he didn't really connect with their concerns. Um, so that's I think that he was kind of uh, kind of symptomatic of what how people were disillusioned with Labour. So, and that is one of the reasons that I think Jeremy Corbyn's victory was so great um, when he became leader and obviously uh, when he increased his majority at the last leadership election. Because I think people wanted something new in Labour. They wanted a break with uh, traditional policy, uh, the traditional um, Blairite way that the uh, party had been going. They wanted to go back, sorry, to the traditional, more leftist uh, side of it. But I think that in doing so, they've isolated people once again. I think even though Corbyn has brought people back into the party who were disillusioned with it, um, it's isolated their core support a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I think that Labour's in a sticky situation. It's kind of like they're, um, they're between a rock and a hard place because I think that their core support in Northern Heartlands don't like Jeremy Corbyn. They feel like he threatens um, their jobs in the local area. However, they also don't like that brand of career politicians. Um, and but if then, you look but at, then what does one do? Because you're either it, a career politician is, or you're is, an outsider. I mean, surely it's, it's one it's, or the I other. Know, I know. I completely appreciate that it's very difficult. I don't have the answers uh, for sure. Um, I, I Yeah. I don't have the answers. Like like I said, they are between a rock and a hard place. Um, and when you look at Stoke, um, even though Labour did win Stoke in the end, uh, I saw an interview with some of the local residents and they were saying that Tristram, they felt did nothing for their constituency. They felt he wasn't connected with the members of that constituency. They felt like he just didn't care. Um, and of course, he was parachuted into Stoke, uh, not really having any local connection with the area. Um, so those kind of politicians, they do not like. However, 
you could say that there is more similarity between Trish, people like Tristram and I guess people like Jeremy because Jeremy isn't from the north, he's uh, from London. Um, and I think that uh, th both of these kind of branches are still very London-centric branches of the Labour Party. It's become a very London-centric, metropolitan-centric um, party. And so somehow we need to... Labour needs to get a leader that can convince the Northern Heartlands um, that they care and that they are going to protect their jobs. They do have their interests. They are understanding of their interests and kind of the unique um, cultural place the north of England finds itself in. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I feel like what happened in 2010 was a party that was kind of burnt out kind of ran kind of run out of ideas Absolutely. and there was a there was a crisis of social democracy in the sense that after the post 2008 crash um there isn't the money there to do what Blair and Brown did um there's no longer that big pot of money kind of slitting around that you can um filter down to those who need it most and then so the Labour Party sank back to its comfort zone where Ed Miliband, he tried to be tough on immigration, but he never sounded completely convinced himself. Um, they didn't really have a policy on combating crime. And it was very much, we'll stay in our comfort zone, assume that our working class base will just stay with us and we'll reach out to um, ethnic minorities and we'll be able to strategy on that demographic. And that didn't work. And then instead of the Labour Party looking hard at itself um, and realising where he went wrong, um, we actually just picked a Labour leader that kind of spoke very much to the Labour Party membership, um, but not to our voters. So reaching and for a comfort blanket almost. Jeremy Corbyn was the ultimate sort of moral protest at austerity, a comfort blanket that made everyone feel very good about themselves mm -hmm. uh, early on. But it's simply not what our voters want, need or care about. So what do they want, need and care about? Um, well, I think Paige made a really good point about leaders seeing as authentic. I think more. I think a lot of people see Jeremy Corbyn as quite authentic. He, he means what he says. They just don't like what he says. <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it actually, what the, I think is really crucial for the Labour Party at the moment to rebuild its electoral coalition is to have a leader who, yes, is not a career politician in the classic sense, um, but has a kind of cultural understanding and cultural resonance with our kind of traditional working class base Absolutely. and Jeremy Corbyn is almost the opposite of that he symbolizes yeah. a north London kind of metropolitan um leftism of I've got all the answers for you yeah. and it's it's a patronizing um see with Sellafield and um, Moorfield in Copeland it's um Moorside sorry um yeah, it's a it's kind of alien to most of the country, and, and they don't like it. So it needs to be a new leader come in who is seen as kind of understanding, you know, their lives. And I don't think that comes across with Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, you uh, expressed what I was trying to say a lot better, actually, Leo. Um, 
I think that having not necessarily a leader from the north of England, but someone who has that kind of cultural connection with the uh, working man. I mean, Jeremy has been a activist all of his life. Um, he's actually had quite a privileged life, however. He was um, not born into poverty by any means. He's from a wealthy background. And like you said, the North London um, metropolitan, very kind of moral high ground attitude that I think he takes, that really does not resonate with Labour's core votes. Um, but then you have to question, you have to break down what it is that he says that mm. they don't like. Um, and I don't, I think that some of it they uh, actually don't like, such as being anti-nuclear because of the threat to industry. But I think a lot of what he talks about just is not on their agenda at all. It's not things that they care about. It's not immediate, everyday concerns that they care about. Um, for example, such as uh, bringing up the Falklands is one I always, it always sticks in my mind because he started talking about the Falklands um, quite early on into his leadership at a time when no one else was even thinking about it as an issue. And also um, campaigns for justice in Palestine and things like that. Um, the ordinary uh, northern working person, it just doesn't kind of feature in their daily concerns. Um, and as noble as Jeremy's commitment to these campaigns might be, it's not what people in uh, Britain need. And I think he, it's all well and good being involved in things like that, but that's kind of Jeremy's only uh, concern. It, it's very much what he sells his brand on, being this um, activist, this protester. And I think he needs to have much more of a plan, or whoever leads Labour needs to have much more of a plan and a vision about um, how we can, things like the health service, um, transport and also uh moving on into what i think will be the next part of our podcast uh brexit um mm. because he hasn't obviously really brought any opposition to the government's brexit plan at all mm. um ensuring that it is the best plan for ordinary people in the country so yeah yeah um i i just think his head is in the wrong place to be leader of the labor party in its current climate in in the current climate so the next question is then uh, i guess the next obvious question is is jeremy corbyn's position untenable or will he continue to be leader of the labor party uh into the next election um dale we haven't heard from you for a while <laughs> well uh, I'm going to ask for correction if I say anything wrong, because a lot of this is quite speculative. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that the core membership of the Labour Party uh, has been somewhat affected by the by Corbyn's leadership. Mm -hmm. So if I remember correctly, quite a lot of people wanted to, I mean, deliberately joined Labour to vote for uh, Corbyn. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it seems to me that, I mean, it, it's... I mean, so one of the things I was reading today was saying that uh, people aren't particularly keen to have another vote of no confidence in Corbyn because they know it will be the same again. Uh, it doesn't matter how many MPs say he's not the right man for the party. The increasingly left-leaning, not that that's a negative thing, but the increasingly left-leaning membership seems pretty fixed on having him. The issue is that it seems to me that quite a lot of 
these people have come from relatively fringe positions, relatively fringe parties. Mm -hmm. And the fear is not that Corbyn can't persist indefinitely, mm -hmm. but that the centrists and the majority of people who made up the Labour Party, mm -hmm. if they feel they can't oust him, will start moving towards other parties and that it will fall into being a much more fringe I think I think to be fair to Jeremy Corbyn, uh, which is not something you'll hear me say too often. Um, to, to be fair to Jeremy Corbyn, I think in the first four-way vote with uh, Yvette Cooper, Andy Burnham, Liz Kendall, he won the most votes in every section of the party. So in long-term members, in entryist is what they call it, entryist members and and in the associate members, which is the three pound sign-up mem membership. Um, so I think I think he won amongst uh, amongst all cross sections. To be fair to him, so I mean I think that's certainly a factor is that there was a certain amount of uh, f well I, flooding is too strong a word, but I can't think of a better word. So flooding of the the vote from more left wing, uh, maybe more Trotskyist groups, um, but. He did win a majority amongst all the sections, so you can't you can't be too critical of that. Um, yeah, but it's, there's there's a fundamental schism that kind of runs through the Labour Party membership. Mm -hmm. That is like an unbridgeable divide, and if you come down on one side, you're a moderate. If you come down on the other side, you're a Corbynite. And it's essentially Corbyn Easter, I believe. A Corbyn Easter, <laughs> and it's essentially um, the kind of the what are called like a hard left, the far left, far left. Even though a lot of them don't like being pulled, that is a quite a puritanical sort of dogmatic kind of leftism, in my view. Um, it can be summed up by I think the it was Councillor Ted Knight, who was a militant um, tendency. Labour Party council in their 80s when he demanded no compromise of the electorate um, and that's kind of the attitude and if, if you're if you're a revolutionary vanguard um, socialist party one of those hard left entryists mm -hmm. you think that you can build a vanguard party take over the Labour Party and bring down the capitalist government mm -hmm. um and if you're on the benite far left like jeremy corbyn is that john mcdonough is you believe in your core message of socialism and hammering that message loud and proud as much as possible and if you do that enough you know the tory government will fall and we'll have a democratic socialist revolution mm -hmm. when everyone wakes up and opens their eyes however and if you're from that part of the far left everything is going fine you know this is all part of the bigger thing we don't care it doesn't matter if we lose in the next general election because the longer the Tories are in government the more people are fed up society will fall people will kick off and revolution will come but anyone with a slightly sort of more critical mind I imagine kind of us for being bloggers and journalists mm -hmm. uh, can see that that's not going to work and actually you do have to make some compromises, be it in the way, as Owen Jones says, the way you deliver um, policies, the way you project the language you use, or do you compromise actually on some policies that can be one win over the majority and then actually become elected and make change? And that's the fundamental sort of ideological mm -hmm. schism 
which is tearing the Labour Party apart. So, sorry, it's quite a weird thing that. Uh, I mean, I mean, we've all presumably got some niche hobbies. I mean, I'm not making any judgments about any of you, but if it was something like you know stamp collecting. You wouldn't necessarily, you know, collect stamps, start a university society about stamp collecting and then fun expect the majority of the electorate to suddenly decide that they don't know what they've been doing with their lives and stamp collecting is the way forward. <laughs> it seems to me that it's a similar sort of thing with, you know, these sort of very niche political positions. I mean, they haven't been terribly popular for the last, you know, for as long as I've been aware of politics. And then they're suddenly expecting that if the Tories just go on governing long enough, everyone's going to become a, an ardent socialist. Yeah, it, it, it comes from the same kind of political tradition from when John McDonnell celebrated the 2008 crash. Mm. From my perspective, thousands of people lost their homes, lost their jobs, their livelihoods. No leftists should applaud that. No working people's lives and were ruined. Didn't exactly do anything yeah. to um, strengthen the Labour Party. Yeah. So. This is this is what I wanted to come on to there actually because you took and I don't want to sound too conspiratorial because I will doubtless be accused of that. But how much of do you think that Labour going okay Tories do your thing with Brexit and let's see what happens is like the more Benite side of the thing saying maybe it'll get bad enough that they'll love us. Yeah, I think that's what John McDonnell is kind of clinging onto at the moment, um, that things will go so horrendously bad for the Conservative government. But that, yeah. that's like Labour saying, let's hope it goes awfully and people suffer enough that we get into power. I mean, do you think yeah. that's really happening? No, most sensible people know that it's <laughs> not going to happen, you know. Um, but that's kind of what we're up against. And, and, and there's that kind of you know, very dogmatic mindset that uh, a lot of the membership kind of believe in and it, and slowly I've watched young friends of mine who loved Jeremy Corbyn at the start of his leadership really thought he had the answers slowly become disillusioned when they can see what's going on and and he's not stepping down and he clearly can't win where's this party heading and they're a little bit lost at the moment and it's just a yeah bit sad really <laughs> to be a Labour Party activist right now. Uh, if I could ask you a question, is it mm -hmm. Leo? Leo? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if, say, Corbyn steps down tomorrow, um, mm. the Labour Party needs a new leader, who or what kind of person do you want to lead the party going into the government, uh, running Brexit, going into the 2020 election? Who or what do you want? Um, that's a big question. I don't think I could... <laughs> Because um, you always, if you pick one individual, you, you get slated for kind of, um, for no, how could you ever think they were the best? I think there's a, a lot of good candidates. I quite like Dan Jarvis. Um, and he's, you know, he has an army background. Yeah. Um, people know he'll be kind of patriotic. He's from a northern seat. Um, he's from the Midlands himself. Um, and he's quite popular, um, judging by the polls. However, I think it's really time for the Labour Party to have a, a female leader. Um, but it's difficult. I just think we're so far beyond that. I think um, someone like Lisa Nandy would be quite a good compromise with, with the kind of, she's a soft left. I think she will make a lot of people who are kind of support Owen Jones and that kind of politics quite happy. Mm. Um, and I can see her being far, far better than what we have already. What about someone like Tony Blair? 
<laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Actually, and I completely agree with um, Tony Blair on fighting for over Brexit. Um, I think his speech was fantastic, but I also know that he is hated by every single section of the British population. Um, Why is that, though? Why is he hated? I mean, is it just Iraq, or is is there more to it than that? um, Well, on the left, he's seen as a sellout. But they hate everyone. I mean, just make that that assumption. And then he's... um, And then on the right, you know, he was a centre-left... So centre-left prime minister, um, he's, lots of liberal reforms are brought in under him. You know, if you're a right-winger, you're going to have reasons to hate Tony Blair as well. Um, still, uh, and it's also it. his kind of dodgy business dealings after leaving mm-hmm. office that have kind of upset a lot of people who quite admired him, um, including myself. So it's, it's just one of those things, yeah. His reputation has been tarnished. Mm-hmm. Still makes a good speech, though. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, running off the back of his his speech, then what should Labour be doing about Brexit? Because at the moment, they're they're basically going with whatever the Conservative government's version of Brexit appears to be, even though that's ill defined at the moment as well. Um, should the Labour Party be putting up more opposition, or should they step back and allow the will of the people, the <laughs> the the famed will of the people, to to win over? Uh, despite it not being on the ballot? Well, um, I mean, certainly this idea of the will of the people is, I mean, quite an odd idea that I'm sure most of us could, you know, pick apart. But, I mean, the key thing that's, I mean, really bothers me is, I mean, Labour doesn't have anything like half the seats. I mean, and Jeremy Corbyn, you know, is standing up saying, oh, yeah, so look, we need to respect the will of the people. I mean, if it's a representative democracy, it doesn't seem to me that under half of the MPs being able to vote against Brexit, if they think it's the wrong choice, uh, is against the will of the people. If, you know, if the majority was, you know, as small as it was, it seems to me that the opposition party is in a perfect position to say, well, we are the opposition representing the people who, you know, who, who... just about lost out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn is, is, has some really odd views about certain things. And I mean, I don't think it's ever been clearly established whether or not he really was pro-Remain or not, or at least whether he, ideologically he was committed to remaining in the uh, EU. But it seems to me that, uh, yeah, there, there is this degree to which he is just not... Uh, getting what he wants here mm-hmm. at the expense of paying lip service to some sort of opposition. Mm-hmm. So you, you didn't support his three-line whip of the commons and then whipping the lords as well then? Yeah, it, was, it, it seems insanity to me. I, I mean, yeah, no, I can't see what... Because there is no way that Labour would have overturned the decision to leave the EU. No. Um, I mean, it wasn't even that. It was a vote to... Well, the the Commons vote was a vote on should we trigger Article 50, um, which is... And then the the Lords one was... I think it was just on an amendment to the the Tory proposed bill. Um, 
which is, I think, personally, I think is a bizarre thing to whip the lords on. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what... But, I mean, this is the thing. The lords, I mean, is essentially a formality. They can send it back a couple of times if they're not happy with the amendments, and then they can't indefinitely. I think it's only something like three times. Yeah. I, I don't so. understand why Jeremy Corbyn is so determined to make Brexit easy. Hmm. Well, well, yeah. For... for... Because we all kind of understand that Jeremy Corbyn hasn't altered one of his opinions in about 40 years. <laughs> um, you know, the the Benite kind of ideology that he, he clings to is one that sees the European Union and always has as a sorry, capitalist club. Um, he's voted against every single EU treaty that's come before the Commons. Um, he just has no love for it. And I actually think in kind of years to come the truth will come out about the referendum campaign and you know and how how much he let down the labor in campaign mm -hmm. and i think that will take some years to kind of fully come out um but now no he doesn't he has no love for the eu um and also there is a pragmatic sense of not wanting to upset um leave voters um Leave, leave voting Labour supporters mm -hmm. um, but no I do disagree on on the article 50 vote but I wonder if Paige may want to have something to say about this well I think that um, I think that MPs should represent their constituency and I think there was lots of Labour constituencies that voted to leave um, the MPs should respect that should represent that and I think on the whole um, Labour MPs whose constituency voted leave, they did vote in favour of leave, even if that, uh, sorry, not leave, like triggering Article 50, mm. even if that what wasn't what they wanted. But I just think that before we got to that stage, there should have been more pressure from Labour, from Jeremy Corbyn to kind of get more amendments to what the government's Brexit plan is. Um, maybe this wasn't the right stage to whip Labour MPs to voting that way. I yeah. think that um, we should definitely, Labour should definitely have bought more time, should put more pressure on the Tories to explain what the Brexit plan is, uh, be, give more clarity to what it will mean, uh, give more clarity to what it will mean for a lot of Labour constituencies where there's uh, manufacturing jobs um, and so forth. Um, but I, I, I think that the will of the people, I know that we may scorn at that phrase i think it's true i think uh we uh, the country overall voted to leave um i think that should be respected um it's just determining what brexit means so yeah i i completely agree with page and i actually think um whipping his mps to vote for article 50 was you know probably the right thing to do um I think it, I think people need to realise that even if every single Labour MP had voted against stringing triggering Article 50, um, it would have still gone through anyway. Yeah, but it's symbolic, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's doing that. The work starts now. You know, it's it's a symbolic thing. If if Labour's saying if Labour's line I, is we would have been much better to stay in the yeah. EU, you can't then go let's leave the EU with no opposition. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I it's you know. That symbolism would have hurt Labour um, imaginably in kind of in its leave voting seats. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and it would have been played as wrongly, but it would have been played as they are voting against the will of the people trying yes. to stop Brexit. And Labour have to be a lot more nuanced and a lot more clever going into two years of negotiations mm -hmm. where um, basically there's 45% of the country voted Remain. Um, they want mm -hmm. us to have a soft Brexit or remain in the EU. 185 Tory MPs voted Remain. There is a huge block there of people who want a soft Brexit. And I think there's many people who voted Leave who could be won over to our side of a soft Brexit staying in the um, single market and customs union. Okay. All right. However, with the current leadership of the Labour Party, winning that argument is never going to happen. And the mm -hmm. fact that the left and the Labour Party is so weak at the moment, mm -hmm. Theresa May is more fearful of the Tory right, the Brexiteer right um, on her back benches mm -hmm. than she is of the opposition. So she's trying to appease them because she doesn't care about the opposition. Mm -hmm. She knows that she could win a landslide election tomorrow. So she needs to appease David Davis rather than, you know, Jeremy Corbyn or whoever, you know, Chuck Hermuna. Okay. Dale, sorry, you got you got cut off uh, when you were about to say something. Do you want to, do you want to say it now? Oh, I mean, no, it was merely a response to, um, I mean, this idea of the Will of People page that you were talking about. And I do think that we... I, I don't think we should just roll over and take it like this. I mean, I don't, I mean, as a precedent, I'm not sure the fact that more people came out in favour of one idea than another is necessarily a democratic imperative to act on it in a representative democracy. Mm. Uh, Edmund Burke would agree with you, I'm sure. Yeah, it would, and, and this is the thing, that when we say the, uh, the MPs should have been whipped, I, I, again, I, I completely disagree with this, simply because... You know, you you don't vote on an issue. You vote for a party because you think they represent your interests. You vote for MPs uh, because you think they represent your interests. Leo, I think you're. You know, I I think obviously you are right that the Labour Party. I mean, if the Labour Party were to try being clever at any point in the next couple of years, that would be nice. Uh, well, if Jeremy Corbyn were to try being clever at any point in the next couple of years, that would be nice. Um, but no, I mean, I do think fundamentally the responsibility, well, the, the decision to vote to trigger Article 50 or not remains with the politician, with the MPs at every stage. Because if they want to risk their professional career to say, you know, this is wrong, oust me if you think it's wrong, vote for the UKIP guy next time, then that is entirely their prerogative. It's not a violation of their contract with, you know, the people. And it's, it, it's not an abuse of their power. What is an abuse of power? I think actually that Leo, you touched on earlier. There was, you know, we 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 do suspect that Jeremy Corbyn has, you know, seriously maintained this anti-EU sentiment. Um, I mean, that's all well and good if he fundamentally believes that leaving the EU is the right thing to do. But what seems nefarious is to compel a major political party to agree with you on that when you know it's a somewhat unpopular niche position position within that party. And yeah. I, I agree. I, don't, I think that the whip was wrong. Um, when I said that I think it was wrong at this stage, I also thought I think it's wrong altogether because I think that if 
uh, you're a Labour MP from a Remain constituency, I think you should vote uh, against Article 50. You're representing your constituents. Um, and that is obviously what some Labour MPs did. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that there was a lot of Labour MPs who are representing Leave constituencies. And I completely agree that um, democracy is not sticking to that 52% decision with no opposition. Democracy is a process. Um, it's about making this uh, decision work. Um, so I, I, that's why I, th I think the whip was wrong. I think it was wrong to give the government such an easy, uh, you know, free ride. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that the will of the people, the 52% do have to be respected. It's just the question of in what way that decision is respected what how do we determine what leaving the eu actually means and that's what labor to tell everyone else to trot along with it but that's <laughs> what labor have failed at up to this point they haven't um secured a brexit that will be in the interests of the constituents who voted to leave um and that's what they should be working on far more <laughs> not trying to overturn triggering article 50 um, not trying to stop that, but trying to make Brexit work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think it's kind of an acceptance, a general kind of acceptance that, you know, the referendum happened, the result was to leave, yes. and we should expect that. And now it's about, okay, what sort of Brexit do we have? And Theresa May's Brexit is a Brexit of at any costs. Um, leaving the single market, leaving the customs union would, Reduce, and I think the key for Labour Party now is to be kind of firstly coherent and credible to the majority, and then to argue for a soft Brexit in the national interest. Mm -hmm. Yes, and this will reduce our standing in the world. A once proud nation with a weaker economy. Do you want um, to run for Labour leader, Leo? And, <laughs> yeah. sort of, and then, <laughs> Maybe, maybe one day. Um, but just, you know, that's the kind of attitude we should take. It should be kind of a pragmatic kind of argument. And, and if the Labour Party was credible and coherent, we would be giving a lot of Conservatives a fright, I imagine. Sure. Um, okay, um, we haven't got onto half the topics I wanted to get onto. Um, mm -hmm. Bad moderating on my part, I'm afraid, or, or or meaty subjects. Let's go with meaty subjects uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that everyone had a lot to say on as the <laughs> as the reason for that. But I think um, it's probably time to wrap up there. Um, let's just do a quick space where people can plug anything that they want to. So, uh, Leo, do you have anything you would like people to read that you've written, or anywhere people can follow you, or anything like that? Um, yeah, if, if you have all day, um, my medium is a good uh, place to find me. Um, if you find my Twitter, which is Leo, so L-A-Y-O underscore uh, 1991, um, then you'll be able to find my medium. And I've done a very big kind of polemic on the state of the left and how the left rebuilds its um fractured coalition okay i'll uh, i'll try and put that in the show notes i'll try and find it and link it in the show notes um cool page uh so my twitter is at the underscore page tracy um and i recommend that you read some of the articles i've wrote for canatus mm -hmm. um because i do a lot of music writing as well as the political writing but 
if you're listening to this, I suspect it's the political that you're more interested in. Um, I interviewed Peter Tatchell for Canatus um, back in October. Um, he continues to retweet my article on a regular basis, which is, uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, he obviously <laughs> thinks it's a good interview, um, mm -hmm. but it's uh, quite relevant to today's uh, podcast because he talks about the failures of the left at the moment. He talks a lot about Jeremy Corbyn in that interview. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a really good interview for you to go and check out. Um, also, read... Um, some the articles I'd say I'm most proud of for Canatus are Social Justice Has Become a Race to the Bottom, which talks about social justice uh, kind of becoming a zero-sum game. And the other one is called Let's Stop the Homogenization of Liberation Groups, which I think is also quite relevant um, to today's topics and to today's political climate about people not trying to always claim they have the moral higher ground and not claiming to speak for a whole group of people okay. so that's my plug <laughs> okay cool and Dale uh, well I have a piece in the works on you always uh, have a piece in the works <laughs> I do I do I, I'm very enthusiastic <laughs> um, I've got a piece about ISIS and the nature of uh, theocracy and my the piece that I'm working on now, which has a catchy name, but maybe not such a catchy body, but I think it is a very interesting piece, uh, is about the ABC interview uh, that got very heated, and it's called Between a Rock and a Jihad Place. So. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, do you have a, a Twitter where people can follow you? Uh, I mean... Dale Claridge, I think Dale you Claridge. put an act in front of that to make it. That is that is what one normally does. <laughs> and mine, if you want to follow me for any reason, as at Benedict Nickel One, that's the number one. You can also follow Canatus News at Canatus News on both Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can go to canatusnews.com to read the work of these fantastic people and also other fantastic people who write even more fantastic articles. Can you tell I think it's fantastic as a website? And I'm not sure I've made that clear <laughs> enough. Um, anyway, thank you so much for being with me, you guys. I'm sorry we didn't get to discuss it as in-depth as, as we all might have liked to, um, but hopefully maybe we can do a part two sometime. That would be really good. <laughs> yeah? I'd like that. And we, can, we, can, we can try and do that. Um, but yeah, um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.